0: Next, the golden days of radio.
1: This is Frank
2: Brzee inviting you to join me for the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past, headlining some of the world's most famous personalities. On this program, we are featuring comedian Jack Pearl, Joe Penner, Carmen Miranda, John Barrymore, and Orson Welles,
1: along with our host, Rudy Valley.
2: Hi-ho, everybody, this is Rudy Valley. My congratulations to KFI on this anniversary. During those golden days of radio, I was fortunate to have the opportunity of working with and introducing many personalities. In fact, everyone in show business except Jack Benny. He was too young. Persons who later went on to their own shows in radio. I remember when I first started in January 1928 on a very small station in New York City which was the Atlantic Broadcasting Company, selling a radio called Greedy Radios. Uh, We couldn't afford an announcer. The little nightclub couldn't afford an announcer, so I had to do the announcing, which was probably a great, uh, very important thing in my career. And eventually, after about three or four weeks of broadcasting, because our formula was so entirely different, not good, but entirely different, size of a band, we played only choruses, tunes nobody else had, didn't have any brass, couldn't play the typical arrangement that everyone else is playing. In a few short weeks, we were becoming really a sensation, and eventually, two other stations, uh, WOR and uh, WMCA, asked us if they might broadcast us too. We were there in this nightclub from the High Ho Club from 7 o'clock in the evening till 3 in the morning, eight solid hours, which gave us a lot of time. In those days, there were no restrictions, you cleared no songs, no tunes, nothing had to be cleared. I could say anything I wanted to say, and when we'd finished, let us say, WABC at 9 o'clock in the evening, I'd say, tune in again at 11, we We'd be back on WOR. Finish WOR at 12 in the evening, I'd say we would be back at 12.30 on WMCA, which was a fabulous thing for us, and in about eight or nine months we became, well, the sensation of all sensations. We were the first to demonstrate the great power of this new medium called radio because we had something only different to offer, not good, but different. And the first appearance at the RKO... 81st Street Theatre was a sensation, demonstrating that this meeting went into millions of homes in and around New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. And we went into great, all the vaudeville theatres of New York City, 13 RKO theatres, and eventually the New York Paramount Theatre to the Brooklyn Paramount Theatre. And about this time, of course, radio beckoned, and the NBC signed me to a contract to broadcast with them in 1929. And in the fall of 29, we began in October the Fleischmann Hour, This continued for quite a while, and then eventually John Reba, the head of J. Walter Thompson, realized, as we didn't, because we were doing the program, but anyone listening to it would have realized that a medley of 12 or 14 minutes of my little eight-piece band and myself become awfully deadly after a while, and he realized they'd have to take the rubber band off of the bankroll of the standard brands and the Fleischmann Hour and NBC and do something different, and they decided on a variety show. And, of course, after... A little while, it began to be very popular because there was nothing quite like it in radio. We were the palace theatre of the air and it remained for the programme to last ten solid years.
0: Time is your time Your time is my time We just seem to synchronise And sympathise we're harmonizing one steps And two steps Old steps And new steps There's no time Like our time And no one like
1: you
2: Jack Pearl, who was... Uh, famous for his uh, Was You There Charlie uh, he was the Baron Munchausen uh, had a great vogue uh, for his wonderful uh, Dutch and German dialect at that time and we were very fortunate to be able to present him I think before he became very very
3: famous
0: You tell some remarkable stories Baron that last one was so fishy
3: it gave me a haddock Yeah now and I wasn't You <laughs> <laughs> The Baron makes the jokes now You see You see Uh, What did you say? I said your last story gave me a headache (laughs) That's very finny, Mr.
0: Valley
1: (laughs)
3: Forgive me, Baron So you were in South America how was the swimming down there? Oh, now that's better, Odie. Swimming down there was pretty rough until I got past Miami. You uh, swam to Miami? <laughs> sure. You see? It's unbelievable. I made I made very good time too. You know, <laughs> a shark was pushing me. You see? I, I still don't believe it. <laughs> uh, then I got my now, second. Now, just a
0: second, and... just a second. You want me to believe that you swam all the way from New York to South America?
3: Well, I would prefer it.
0: Well, I, I'm not going to believe a thing like that.
3: Brody, if you ain't going to believe a thing like that, <laughs> you're going to have a lot of trouble with the stuff that comes later. <laughs> see? So I, I, I swam and I swam. I saw one wave over a thousand feet a high. A thousand feet yeah, high? And yes, sure. So it went up in the air a thousand feet and it stayed there. It stayed there? Yeah. <laughs> it was a permanent wave. You see? So, so one day, listen to this. You've got to listen to this. This will kill you! <laughs> I hope. This is, uh, so one day, so one day I was swimming, and I and I looked up, and there was a school of dolphins swimming a, along eight feet above the water. So Who I, ever heard of a school
0: of fish swimming above the water? Yeah,
3: this was a high school. You see, uh, <laughs> is, so I was. You think I believe that? <laughs> you think I care? So I swam, and I swam. I swam for forty-two days and forty-nine nights. And finally. Oh, wait
0: a minute, wait a minute. 42 days and 49 nights. Yeah. What about the other seven days?
3: <laughs> I took
0: Sundays off. You see, so I see. What did you do on Sunday?
3: I went swimming. What I did on Sunday. Now, please, leave me alone, will you? So finally, I got to South America. And I went ashore into a terrible South American jungle. And, Rudy, I didn't have any gun or knife or anything. Oh, and there was a great big mountain lion. I pulled out my gun, and with one shot, I killed him dead. Now, Baron, you just said you didn't have a gun. So I killed him with a knife. You also (laughs) said you didn't have a knife. Did I say I didn't have a pin? No. (laughs) So I killed him with a pin. (laughs) I, I brought that mountain lion back here with me, and I'm going to stuff him. I'd like to see that lion. I'm willing to have it stuffed for you. Yeah? yeah. No, I'll do it myself. Why don't you let me do it? <laughs> the Baron
1: does his own lion.
2: <laughs> I flatter myself that I gave the quality of relaxation to the Fleischmann. I've always been very relaxed about anything I've done. I've always felt that if you knew what you were doing, there's no need to be tense. And... Uh, I I think I imparted this to some of our guests. I remember that Sherman Billingsley of the Star Club was ready to practically faint, ready to collapse when he made a little chat about the Star Club and the way he ran it on our program. And I used to take many personalities who were very, very nervous about their first appearance on a coast-to-coast radio broadcast. But particularly in the case of Joe Penner, he was an old-timer who had been versed in doing his routine for so many years and months and years that uh, he, he... if you changed anything in the middle of the show, it was liable to throw him so completely that he was gone. And I knew that this man was a worrier like Bert Lahr, a great worrier, and also a man that you couldn't fool around with in tampering with any of his tried and true material.
3: <laughs> Hello, Rudy. Hello, Joe. How are you? you want to buy a duck?
0: No, Joe, I don't want to buy a duck. Why? Why? Because?
3: Well, uh, maybe your brother would like to have one,
0: huh? I haven't a brother. Well. Uh.
3: Well, if he had one, you think he'd consider it? No. Under no circumstances? Under no
0: circumstances.
3: You nasty man! What's the easiest way to raise corn, beef and cabbage? With a knife and fork. Don't <laughs> no, never do that!
0: Ladies and gentlemen, the American Forces Radio and Television Service proudly presents the Retirement 2 Yes, third. Hey, Harry, ever thought about retiring from the Army? You bet. Every night, right after chow. No kidding. Do you know most military men and women can retire while they're still in their late 40s or early 50s? Well, I blow it, I guess. I'm 58. And do you know after 20 years, you can retire with at least 50% of your active duty salary? No, but hum a few
3: bars and I'll fake it.
0: You know, Harry, there are loads of good reasons to consider retirement. But you have to do it while you're still on active duty. I've always said, George, the more active the duty, the sweeter the retirement. Financial security, retirement pay, life insurance. Those are just a few of the benefits from the Armed Forces. Find out about all of them from your personnel officer. Yes, sir. In the year 1933
2: or 34, up from Brazil came a young lady named Carmen Miranda, and she's in an Olsen and Johnson show, over on uh, Forty Second Street, one of the best theaters there, and doing very well. It really captured the imagination of the audience, and with the high, uh, the wood shoes that she wore and the. Crazy outfit and the marvelous outfit that she wore—a very colorful outfit—and her own little group of four or five musicians. And the next thing I knew, she was a part of our program. <laughs>
4: Ai o bambu de bambu bambu lalá, quero ver se três dias bambu lalá. Fui um banquete na casa de pequena, mesa tava no céu e não botou todo mundo cade. Tinha de toda qualidade de italiana, tinha mais homem que mulher, mas eu não tinha que comer bambu. Ai o bambu de bambu bambu bambu, ai o e bambu de bambu bambu Ai o bambu de bambu bambu lalá, quero ver se três dias bambulei bambu lalá bambu. Ai bambu. bambu de bambu bambu bambu, ai bambu de bambu bambu lalé. Ai, vamos de bambu babula, quero ver se de bambu bambu bambu. bambu 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 bambu
2: I think one of our happiest, and a show that I enjoy doing probably more than any other show, was when Orson Welles visited us in the Fleischmann Island, and John and he really went at it hammering tongues. And <laughs> the insults are so. Of course, we had the greatest writers Paul Henning, Panamon Frank, Jess Oppenheimer, Frank Galen, uh, Keith Fowler, Charlie Isaacs. We had such great writers that they just made this thing sing with humor. This is the Orson Welles and John Barrymore program, nineteen forty-one.
0: There's no time like our time, and no one like you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Rudy Valley welcoming you to another Seal Test program. Tonight is a night of thespian delight. For this evening, we unfold a tale fantastic in its revelations, bold, exciting, unbelievable. In short. The Life of John Barrymore. To narrate John's life, we have that amazing young personality of the theatrical world, your obedient servant, Mrs. Orson Welles, who is now completing Citizen Kane, his first movie over at RKO. Uh, just a moment already. What is it, John? Did I just hear you say that the biography of the Crown Prince of the theater, i.e. John Barrymore, was to be done by one master, Orson Welles? Yes, John. What's wrong? Wrong? Doing the life of John Barrymore with Orson Welles is like painting a Rembrandt with a floor mop. But, John... Or like playing Beethoven on a bazooka. Oh, but, John, I... I Don't Don't but John me, Rudy. Orson Welles. (laughs) Anyway, John, what are your reasons for objecting to Orson Welles? What are my reasons? Why, he's an exhibitionist, a publicity seeker, a headline hunter, a cheap... Sensationalist. What? Well, he's another John Barrymore. But, John, they call him the boy wonder. They call him genius. That's nothing. Have you heard what they call John Barrymore? Yes. On another reason. <clears throat> well, John? Valley, how extensive a story did you dream up about my personal affairs? The entire opus takes about nine minutes. You mean you intend to do the whole dramatic life of John Barrymore in nine minutes? Well, it was originally three hours and 40 minutes. Well? And then we showed it to the censor. (laughs) I see. I see. Well, where is this Wells, this uh, poor man's Barrymore? I'm just about to introduce him. John, this is Orson Welles. How do you do, John? Hi. Hmm. What do we think of next?
1: (laughs) Now, now, boys,
0: boys, take it easy. Valet, does this uh, stuff smirk know to whom he is talking? To whom? To a man who has carried on the finer traditions of the theatre, who has carried on the tradition of great acting. John's right about that, Orson. He's carried on plenty. <laughs> now listen, fellas, why do you start out fighting? After all, Barrymore and Wells are two of the world's greatest Shakespearean actors, and there's no... Rudy, to... don't mention the names Barrymore and Wells in the same breath. Barrymore, who has played Hamlet, Romeo, and Macbeth in one season. I was making three changes a day when he was a baby. How many do you think he was making? (laughs) Ah! What do either of you know about the theater? About art? About life? You're both infants. Now, Mr. Barrymore, please don't be so harsh in your judgment of youth. Don't forget that you yourself were once young, evidence to the contrary notwithstanding. Well, now, John, I think Orson's right about the accomplishments of youth. When Orson was only 15, he was a radio star in his own right. Did you ever hear of The Shadow? The Shadow? What What is The Shadow? Orson, do The Shadow. I am The Shadow. I agree with you.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Shadow, Schmadow. Arson, John, we have a show to do tonight. We'll never get into it if you two keep up this petty bickering. Now on with the show. Tonight we are proud to present Orson Wells narrating the life of John Barrymore. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Orson Wells. Good evening, this is Orson Wells. Tonight, for your edification and delight, we are pleased to present the story of that elfin character, the great profile, entitled Peter Pan Barrymore. Or the pan that is petering out. That. That! That is the end. Exit Barrymore. Now, now, wait a minute, John. Wait a minute. I don't want you to leave this way. I don't want you to go out of here thinking Orson Welles is just a hammy little pipsqueak. That's the way I came in. (laughs) Now, now, John, Orson, you two will have to make up. In our next scene, we three have to work together. Now, come on, shake hands. All right, Rudy. John, you're a swell guy. You're a swell guy, too, Orson. (laughs) And, John, gee, you're the... The greatest actor in the world. No, Austin. You're, you're the greatest actor in the world. No, no, John. No. You're the greatest actor. No, Austin. You. You're the greatest actor. All right. Now wait a minute. of John Barrymore now takes a long step from vaudeville to Shakespeare. Since John has been on this program, we've kidded him quite a bit. And he's taken it beautifully. And he's done a lot of clowning himself. He's been a comedian. But tonight, when Orson and John were joking about being the world's greatest Shakespearean actors, they weren't very far wrong. So inasmuch as we have John and Orson with us tonight, we know that you'd like to hear them do some real Shakespeare. So we present... agree with me. We present Orson Welles and John Barrymore in a scene from William Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. (laughs) Brutus and Cassius, the leaders in the conspiracy against the life of Caesar, are hard-pressed to maintain their advantage over Caesar's forces. Before the Battle of Philippi, they meet in Brutus' tent. Their personal differences have become too great to be restrained. You have wronged me to appear in this. You've condemned the noted Lucius Pella for taking bribes here of the Sardians. For in my letters, playing on his side because I knew the man was slighted off. You wronged yourself to write in such a case. In such a time as this, it is not meet that every nice offense should bear his comment. Let me tell you, Cassius, you yourself are much condemned to have an itching palm, to sell and march your offices for gold to deserves us. I, an itching palm. You know that you are Brutus that speak this, or by the gods this speech will be your last. The name of Cassius honors this corruption, and chastisement to therefore hide his head. Chastisement? Remember March. The Ides of March, remember. Did not great Julius bleed for justice' sake? What villain touched his body that did stab, and not for justice? Brutus. Be not me. I'll not endure it. You forget yourself to hedge me in. I am a soldier. I, older in practice, abler than yourself to make conditions. Go to you are not, Cassius. I am. I say you are not. Hedge me no more. I shall forget myself. Tempt me no further. Away, slight man. Oh, I could weep my spirit from mine eyes. There is my dagger. Hear my naked breath within a heart deeper than Pluto's mind, richer than gold. If thou that hast been Roman, take it for. I that denied thee gold will give my heart. Sheathe your dagger. Be angry when you will, it shall have scope. Do what you will. Dishonor shall be humor. Cassius lived to be but mirth and laughter to his Brutus, When grief and blood, ill-tempered, vexed him. When I spoke that, I was ill-tempered, too. You confess so much. Give me your hand. Aye, Cassius. And my heart, too. Thank you, Altman, Tom. Thank you, Rudy. And may I say that it was very gracious of you to withdraw and let us two hams hog the microphone. Listen to you two hams. I was thrilled, and you both knew it. Thank you, ladies
2: and gentlemen. This is Rudy Valley again. As Ralph Edwards said at the beginning of this program. KFI, this is your life. And I'm happy that I could share some of these moments with you. It's rare that I ever look back over my shoulder and shed a nostalgic tear. I like to look ahead. I never mourned the demise of big-time radio. I'm too intrigued with the future. I've come a long way from Island Pond, Vermont, and Westbrook, Maine, on a highway paved, for the most part, with good fortune, except for a few harrowing detours It has been a ball, and I venture to say that a lot of my fans have shared the fun with me. If I have accomplished nothing more than giving moments of joy in my performance, then I am accordingly enriched. There's no point in trying to relive the success of yesterday. What's past is prologue, and brother, I'm rooting like hell for tomorrow. But no matter wherever I go and whatever I do, just remember... My time was your time. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio. This is Frank Brzee in Hollywood, California, inviting you to join me next week for more shows and personalities from radio's golden days. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service.